All right. Um, also, I just wanted to mention last Sunday night, many of you came. Thank you so much for taking time out of your Sunday to join us in our family meeting. And we wanted to just share where we thought we were at as a church, what God has called us to, who we are as a church, and, and trying to figure out some of the, the next steps. Um, just continue in prayer for us as we are seeking God for next directions. There will be opportunities for you to provide some feedback again here. Next couple of weeks, we'll be just getting your opinion about some next steps that we feel that God is leading us to. Um, so anyhow, thank you for coming, and thank you. It really showed me how much of you believe and care in the body of Christ. So thanks again, we say, for, for joining us. Um, and as Matt said, uh, we'll be, we have the prayer meeting yet today at 6.30, and uh, today's message is we're on this prayer series, Conversations with God, and uh, this message today, we're actually going to try to practice some of the things we're going to be talking about. Uh, my message is called Seeing is Believing. Seeing is Believing. So if you have handouts and want to hand those out, Mark's coming around. If you need a handout, I may want you to use that a little bit later. Even if you don't typically write notes, there's some things in there I'd like for you to have um, to be able to, to read. So things are not as they appear. You know, who God is, who we are, what the world is, uh, all of that is a little bit different, and it gets skewed by, by some of the habits that we've gained. And what I mean by habits, I mean what Paul refers to in the New Testament as the flesh. The flesh is not only just, I mean, a lot of times we think of flesh as like lust, right, <laughs> or greed or something like that. But it's more than that. And the flesh is a mindset that we've inherited from our ancestors spiritually. Adam and Eve brought it down to us. Uh, <clears throat> so we, we deal with this, and yet truth abides. Truth abides. And God has given us something to be able to adjust our thinking, adjust our hearts according to the truth. And this is done because of the work of Jesus Christ but also through prayer and something that we all have that many adults have put aside, and that is our imaginations. God has given us imagine, our imaginative ability to start bringing in the truth into our lives, and that's my premise today. Now, again, we've been in on this Bible series uh, or this prayer series. First of all, uh, Pastor Glenn had talked about the 10 biblical mandates. If you wish to get that, that is online, and also we have it in CD form as well. But today we're going to talk about how God wants us to see more properly. Um, we, there is something that ails us to, to seeing properly, and then the remedy for that, and then how we can take that remedy, remedy in through imaginative prayer. So, and then we're going to try to practice it a little bit. So let's pray quickly. Lord Jesus, I pray that we would be able to see. See what you see. I pray, Lord, that you'd open our eyes that we may see. In Jesus' name, amen. So, we're going to look into 2 Kings. 2 Kings is a story. Uh, the king of Aram is at war with the king of Israel. And so, but the king of Aram, he would pursue Israel, and then when he'd get there, they weren't there. And so, they would get some intel, find out where they were, then, then they'd go over there. King Aram and his army go over there. They'd get there. Israel's not there, even though their intelligence told them this. 
And so the king of Aram is like, what is going on? He's like, who among you is on the side of the king of Israel? He's expecting a, suspecting a mole or a spy. Who among you? And they all said, no, no, not, not us, king. But there is a man of God who is hearing everything that you say, even what you say in your bedroom. That's what it says. So the king of Aram is like, there's a man of God who's doing this? Find this guy. I want him now. And so they pursue him. And the story is, is this is Elijah, and he is, he is uh, surrounded. Let's pick it up. 2 Kings, verse 8. Or what? I don't have the chapter. 6, chapter 6, verse 8. Now the king of Aram was at war with Israel. Actually, I'm going to skip through that. I'm going to go to verse 13. That's on your sheets. So this is the king. He says, go find out where he is, the king ordered, so I can send men and capture him. The report came back. He's in Dotham. Then he sent horses and chariots and a strong force there, and they went by night and surrounded the city. Now when the servant of the man of God got up and went out early the next morning, an army with horses and chariots had surrounded the city. Oh no, my Lord, what shall we do? (laughs) The servant asked. Don't be afraid, the prophet answered. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed. Listen to what he prayed. Open his eyes, Lord, so that we may see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes, and he looked and saw the hills full of chariots and horses of fire all around Elisha. That is, our, that is the prayer I have for us. Open our eyes, Lord, so that we can see. So this is a story about God's power and His favor on Israel. You know, they had a big job to do. They were supposed to be the light of the world, essentially, and bring the message of of Yahweh. And uh, so God's favoring them. But this is also a story of vision, being able to see. And as you saw in Elijah, what he did, he said, and it says, Elijah prayed. And for the Lord to open up his, His servant's eyes. Prayer is the way to reality. Let me say it again. (laughs) That was important. Prayer is the way to reality. And just beyond common vision, just beyond you seeing me in this background and these screens or whatever, just beyond that other side is a realm that we may not see. And that's what the Lord, or that's what Elijah prayed that the Lord would show to Elijah. And he did. Friends, it is through prayer that we see things as God sees them. And God wants you to see clearly. Lord, open our eyes so that we may see. So, again, through prayer, being in God's presence, things are not as what they really are. And like like I mentioned earlier, we have a skewed view of the world, of who God is, who we are, And if we could see things as for what they really are, it would make incredible difference. Ministry would happen. God's kingdom would start coming. For example, let's let's look just at who we are. So, when the Lord saves us, He doesn't just save us from eternal death, 
but he gives us an entirely, entirely new identity. So let's look at these verses or these, some of these statements, and you actually have them on your sheets as well. So I'm just going to read them. We are completely forgiven, perfected for all time, and completely reconciled to God. On your sheet, there are verses that, that support this, that explain this. Just meditate on these. But we are completely made new and given Jesus' Jesus's eternal life. Next, we are indwelled with the very Spirit of Jesus. Right now, we are indwelled with the very Spirit of Jesus and are made into the temple of God. Yeah, how about this? We are positioned in heavenly places. This is speaking about our authority now. We are positioned in heavenly places and created to share in the eternal inheritance given to us in Christ. I'll continue. We are loved members of God's family. We are chosen to be holy and blameless before Him in love. And there's the verses. Again, it's on your sheet if you'd like. So this is what it says we are. And if you take these in, there is simply nothing there's simply nothing that we or you can do to improve on who God has made you in Christ Jesus. This is for those who believe and have trusted the Lord and have faith in the Lord. There's nothing. And also, if you take a look at those, those verses and all those statements, none of it, none of it is future tense. Nicole talked about the kingdom being now and not yet, right? And there is certainly truth, there is the truth to that. But as far as God's concerned, all of what we read there is now. It is current. There's nothing there that says past uh, that is future tense. It is either now or present. Open our eyes, Lord, that we may see. This is what we pray, Lord. So let's look back at those statements. How do you think you're doing with those in your life? Are you living as if you are seated in heavenly places? Are you, do you live as though you are forgiven, completely perfected? I, you know, life has a way of shaping you. I know that. And we're in a war zone. There is a spiritual battle, and Satan loves for us to continue living in deception. And that deception is what we've what has come from the flesh we talked about. Your experienced self-identity, again, how you view yourself, your experienced self-identity is not the same as your true identity that we just read. Understand, they're going to they're gonna be different because life has shaped you with this certain identity, how you view yourself and others, the world, and God, etc. So our lives are also... That are characterized by a robust and ongoing and sometimes losing battle with sin and even loss of perspective. We may try hard to live a good and righteous life within all that God says is true, but we may not succeed. We often live as this though what we read in the New Testament and the scriptures that, we, that I pointed out, the, the, the truths there, as if they were really false or at best, just a pipe dream. Why, again, is because we've been deceived. Here's the story, as you know. In the garden, God says, do your thing. Just don't touch that. 
And so, don't touch that tree. And then Satan comes up and tempts Eve. And this is what he said. Notice the first thing that Satan says. And this is the same thing that he says to you and I. Did God really say? That's his statement. Did God really say? Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? That's the question that you may be asking yourself when you read these truths you look at life and say, did God really say? That's the voice of the enemy. That's the voice of deception. As you know, um, Satan kind of convinces Eve. He says, uh, basically starts telling her that he starts rising suspicion. Eh, God's not really telling you everything you need to know. He's holding out on you. He doesn't really have your best interest in mind. He doesn't think of you as much as he said he does. And she buys into the lie. And when you notice when that happens, it says their eyes were opened, just like Satan said would happen. Their eyes were open, and they respond with this reaction of trying to get things together. They sewed fig leaves to cover themselves up, and they were hiding from God. And eventually, there's destruction that comes into their life as as noted in their offspring, killing each other. So when the flesh, when we are deceived, when we fall for a deception, we start performing, we start hiding, and we start walking towards destruction. It gets out of control. I mean, you apply anything. Let's say you are just greedy, or you feel like there's a sense of loss, and you just feel like, I got to make up for this. Or let's say you have this bad habit and you fall into sin and you feel remorse and you're like, I got to get my act together. I got to read my Bible more. I got to go to church more. I got to serve more. All good things, all good things, all righteous things. But it's an attempt, again, for them to make ourselves more righteous. There's maybe statements like, the Bible says I should rejoice and give thanks to the Lord in every circumstance. I've got to stop being depressed and start rejoicing. What's wrong with me? Or how about this? Jesus tells us not to worry about earthly matters. Why am I worrying? I've got to stop this worrying. Don't I trust God? What's wrong? Or I can't go on with this ungodly habit. If I'm a believer, I'm supposed to practice self-control. Come on, get it together. I don't have any respect for myself or my witness for Christ. These are the accusations of the enemy. And we often are being told, what we're being told by these voices is essentially try harder, perform, get your act together, make it happen, buck it up. We're often filled with these I shoulds and I coulds and I, I will with broken promises. You know, we are to exercise our wills, but it is naive and actually unbiblical for us to think that our effort, our own effort, is the primary way to bring any real transformation in our lives. You're not going to be able to do it. Give up the fight. Lord, open our eyes so that we may see, I pray. So, friends, how do we overcome these habits? How do we, how do we bring in, how do we grow the, 
the fruit of the Spirit in our lives? How do we do this? We don't. We don't. Our response is to simply rest in Christ. Rest in who He is. That is the response of the believer. is not to try to live more righteous. It is to respond to who Christ is. The task of the believer is to believe in Jesus, His work, His effort, and our response is to rest. You simply cannot will yourself to have the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is something that grows. You can't make tomatoes grow. You just get things in the right place and let the sun come, and there they happen. You're not making them grow. And you cannot make the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, grow in your life. Our response is not to perform and strive, but to rest. And I tell you, people, it is hard. It is hard to rest. Scripture, uh, Hebrews 4, 1 says, Therefore, since the promise of entering His rest still stands, let us be careful, careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. Notice the careful. Why? Because He knows the flesh, and the flesh is, is that tendency to fix things ourselves or to start hiding parts of our lives. Next, he continues in Hebrews, there remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works, just as God did from His. Remember Jesus talking about, hey, all you who are worn out, tired, heavy laden, come to me. You say, I got more things for you to do. I want you to carry this. I want you to do this. No, he's described, he said, my burden is light. My yoke is easy. Friends, let's stop the charade. Let's stop trying to fix ourselves or make ourselves look better. Let's trust in the Lord that he is good enough. Let's rest in him. I, I have to say, this, this started coming. Uh, my daughter, Ava, she's, I, I've been gifted with a seven-year-old. And she was down in the basement playing with her woodsies. Anyone know what woodsies are? They're like little, okay, I see some head nods. So a little koala family, there's the beaver family, woodchuck family. They're so cute, little. So she had them, and then she grouped them all with the Legos, you know, Legos and woodsies. Who knows what could happen? And so she's creating all of these little scenarios, and she said, and she invites me to play. Daddy, will you play with me? And immediately I'm like, no, it's Saturday. You know, in my mind, I'm thinking, all of a sudden, here's the scrolling list of things I got to do, right? And she's wanting to play, and then I just, well, tell me, what are you doing? And she explains all that's going on between the families and how they're building this and creating this. And it was just at that moment I was just struck at how my tendency was to keep going and working and thinking of the things to do. And she was off in this whole other place, this whole other place, things that I did as a kid. I spent hours building and creating different scenarios. And I just, just the Lord started working in my heart at that moment. I said, why is this so hard for me to stop? And why can't I play? <laughs> why can't I imagine? And part of it is us uh, as Western Christians. Uh, here, here, you know, we start to think that information is enough to bring transformation in our lives, right? I mean, that's, that's evidenced by how many have, like, their um, Pinterest account 
all these little things that you pinned about getting in shape and fitness and all these things, great ideas, you know, stuff you're going to do. I'm going to do that. And they kind of compile in your, in your account. Or getting organized, right? I'm going to do that. And you gather that information. But does that really bring any transformation at all? Pastor Glenn, you know where he said, information plus application equals, right? Right. So it's more than information. It's the application. And here, uh, <clears throat> you know, we, we're going to be talking about imaginative prayer being a way that God has given us to apply these truths. So, again, we also, when it comes to imagination, we think, oh, make-believe, you know. We just got Disney Plus in our home. Anyone have that? So, we've watched so many princess movies, and it's, it's not stopped yet. It's going to keep going. So, Disney Plus and Disney's just like, you know, changed our lives because of imagination. You know how they, when you wish upon a star, you know, just all of that that is so central to Disney. And, and at, at first, I'm like, I'm an adult. I can't do this. I'm a believer. I need to, you know, focus just on the truth. Um, and we start thinking that if we use our imagination before God in our prayer and meditation, that it's make-believe. Uh, back to Ava. So God's working in my heart. Uh, I come home from work one day, and uh, Ava wanted to say, Daddy, will you play with me? She made an obstacle course. So then at our place, that means basically just chalk lines throughout our driveway and sidewalk. And it had all of these, like, little places. And I had, I'm like, okay, I'm going to do this. And so what a good dad I am, right? And so I've, I followed her, and she started explaining to me this whole obstacle course. And we had to prepare. She says, you have to stand right here. And it kind of wove, and there was some spaces, and there were other things in it. And she said, I had, we decided, I got to pick, I had the superpower of unstoppable lemonade. Unstoppable lemonade. Can you believe that? So, and she had, she had lemonade too. She had frozen lemonade. So we are doing this obstacle course and there's these like bad guys that we have to kind of like confine in frozen ice and lemonade. So she's like, if it goes, and so I'm like, my frozen lemonade, and we just like all of a sudden had to jump over and jump around, and I'm doing this, and I'm like, I feel like a total idiot, <laughs> and I am a total idiot, but I was less like, I was just felt like I had to do this, and so I joined her, and we did this obstacle course over and over, freezing people and getting to these places where there's like candy, had to go up the stairs, we had to dance, it was all part of the obstacle course. And as I was done, because that scrolling list was coming up on the back, you know, it's going on, the Lord kind of spoke to my heart and He said, where you've been in the last 15 minutes is where I want you to be in prayer. Did you get that? So where I was in the place of imagination, despite what all the neighbors were starting to think, you know, uh, where I was in the place of imagination and, pl and prayer was where the Lord wanted me to go in, in, in play. The Lord wanted me to go into prayer. And I was just like, wow. It was that imagination. It was that making what is real more real. So again, we have objections to that. There's even uh, contemporary um, 
well-respected theologians that say if you make any type of visual representation of God, it's an idol. And you're, they, some do say that. But yet, in Scripture, God refers to Himself as many things. I'm just going to list a few. A shepherd, a mighty rock. Don't think about a rock, right? Okay, a mighty rock, a caring father, a nurturing mother. God refers to Himself in these images. How does it make sense that I'm not allowed to imagine God as a rock or a nurturing mother or a caring father? And also, if God doesn't want me to imagine Him, how does that work when He exceeds even our imaginations and He makes Himself a man in Jesus Christ? I can imagine Jesus, I can imagine a human, and God is coming closer to us. Also, some people get a little uh, freaked out because of Eastern religion or even the New Age movement. They use like guided imagery and that type of thing. And really, this is not a really a reflection of them as much as it is just spirituality. Uh, spiritual practices and phenomenon like prayer, baptism, meditation, visions, They've all been a part of all types of religions throughout history, and certainly in Christian history. Uh, so, using the imagination is actually, through Christian history, has been a part of spiritual formation. We've just kind of shut it off if we've gone into this modern world, this modern era, where we really believe that all that's material is what matters, and that science only describes what's real. But that's not the life of a believer. Here, using our imaginations that God gave you, and if you were like me, you shut off for such a long time as a responsible adult. But if God has given us that to shine in His truth, the truth of His Word, the Scripture, into situations of the past and present, and this undoes, undoes the flesh patterns and brings in that new reality. Again, your flesh, if your flesh means you're deceived or you fall into some type of deception, God wants to undo that, and He can undo that through the gift of our imaginations and prayer in His presence. Can you say amen? Lord, open our eyes that we may see, I pray. I want to give you an example. Um, actually, a lot of this has come, I should mention, from this book because it was a subject on my heart. And I just found this title. I was like, holy cats, this is it. Seeing is Believing uh, by Gregory Boyd. He's a pastor and theologian from uh, Minneapolis area. But he talks about experiencing Jesus through imaginative prayer. And I, I do recommend that. It's a pretty straightforward read. Um, but he talks about a story of somebody that he was in his church, uh, he was pastoring. Um, I'm just going to use the name Joan. That's not really her name, but she'd accepted Christ through some friends um, as, as she was like out of college. But even though she was a part of a life-giving church and making friends, after three years of that, there was something still missing. She had struggled long with serious bouts of depression and had slipped into her old patterns. One of those patterns was she would get to is that she would always want uh, people's attention or appreciation, and she would get them to laugh by using kind of vulgar humor, 
and uh, which didn't fit well with her Christian community. Eventually, she found herself back to where it was more acceptable, back into bars, and she would start getting drunk and, and was around people who she felt appreciated, you know, being the crazy fat girl is what her reputation was. And so she would then hook up with a guy, and they would go, go and end up in bed. And then, she, of course, she'd be remorseful because she loved God. She loved God, and she knew God was working in her life. Well, she did this again, and she'd go back to her friends and vowed never to do it again and worked hard to keep her commitment, confessed her sins, but it was just a matter of time before the cycle repeated itself again, and she continued on this spiral towards self-destruction. That's what sin does. She had heard, she had heard the truth of the gospel but she had never experienced the truth in a dynamic and personal way, enough to, enough to counter her past experiences that shaped her self-identity. Remember we talked about that, that, that self-identity that we all have about ourselves? A lot of it is shaped by our past experiences and what we believed. Now, her pastor had met with her, and he encouraged her to say to have a daily date with Jesus, 15 minutes, just 15 minutes, uh, and gave her some scriptures and asked her to read the scriptures, pray the scriptures in a personal way. And imagining, actually using her imagination, this prayer time, of having a conversation with Jesus. And so she would do this, and she just kept doing it. She felt silly doing it. All these doubts are going in her head, say, this is dumb. Uh, I'm making this up. But she continued to meditate on the truths and the ramifications of those. And this went on for months. You know, this wasn't anything quick. This is going on for a few months of her renewing her mind. Uh, In her prayer, she would invite Jesus into the events of her life. And especially the events that formed this deception and this cycle in her life. and let me encourage you, we're going we're gonna to do this. I'm going to be asking you to invite Jesus into the areas of deception that you may have. There may be things in your life that you haven't even thought of or have pushed away because you didn't want to think about them. Things that happened to you. Things that you did wrong or were wrong against you. But this is what's happening to her. She's now inviting Jesus into her history. Joan was raised in a home with an alcoholic and abusive father. And when her father would come home drunk, he would be incredibly angry for whatever reason, and he would fly off, and he would hunt for her because he wanted to beat her. And she would hide in the closet, hoping no one would find her, just a little girl. <clears throat> it was at that point that she became deceived, right? It doesn't seem hard to figure that out. But she was deceived that she was the problem that she deserved to be beaten, and that she wasn't lovely at all. But she, in her prayer time, was inviting Jesus into these memories. And while she was doing this, there she was again, hiding in the closet, and she heard the footsteps coming towards that closet. She's incredibly afraid. Again, she's reliving this, but now with the truth of God in the background. Reliving this, and she hears a knock on the door, 
Joan, it's me, Jesus. It's safe to come out. But I'm afraid my father will hit me, Joan replies. No, he won't, Jesus answers. I'll protect you. I'm bigger than he is. I want you to come out and play. I've got a surprise for you. And as she opens the door, Jesus is kneeling with a big smile, a big smile on his face. And she crawls out out of the closet. She walks, crawls up to him and looks up, and behind him is this huge party with a big banner, celebration of Joan. And everyone's there applauding. They're celebrating who she is, including her father. And all of this is she's recounting the old stories that led to the deception and brought in the truth of God through meditation. This took months. And she relives this, and Jesus brings healing to the history. Isn't that good news? Oh, what great hope. Now, we're going to do some of this. Again, this is not just applicable to you and your history. This could be somebody, God has put somebody on your heart and has burdened them on your heart. You can imagine God's truth in their situation. So this is for intercessory prayer and even just your relationship with the Lord here. So I'm going to ask Nicole and Daniel if they could come up, and we're going to go into a bit of time of prayer Again, friends, we're going to just come to the Lord first and just ask the Lord. I'd like everyone just to close their eyes. You can stay seated. We're just going to pray. I want you to think of either somebody who's in need that you have in your heart you want to intercede for, uh, someone who is uh, maybe in deception, or perhaps it's you. Perhaps there's these patterns in your life and You need to just invite the Lord to shine in your story and say, Lord, where am I thinking wrong? When did the deception start? The Lord is going to start undoing that deception. So I want you to open up just your imagination, eyes closed. I want you to imagine Jesus, we believe he's actually here, welcome Lord, (laughs) that he's going to walk right up next to you. Perhaps he'll sit in the empty chair next to you or he'll sit on the floor just looking at you. Let the Lord be near you. And I'm going to be just reading scriptures that are the truth of God's scriptures but they're in a personal way. Imagine this is the Lord speaking. There's never been a time when I didn't have my eye on you. I've loved you before you were even born. And it gives me great pleasure to save you, to redeem you, to cleanse you, and to make you a living testimony of my endless grace. I'm so happy to do it. Do you know 
that I had my had you in mind when I went to the cross, it was you. You're why I did it. You were worth it. You, you were the joy that was before me as I carried the cross to Calvary. It was you. I and the angels celebrate over you. You make us want to sing. You make us want to sing. Like a groom rejoices over his new bride, I rejoice over you. I'm excited about you. Oh, my son, my daughter, I delight over you personally because I'm so in love with you. I rejoice over you with singing. Friends, I encourage you to continue within the Lord's presence as we go into worship. For some of you, you've never had an encounter with the Lord. This may be totally new. You may not even know what you believe. If you are someone who hasn't even said that you want to follow Jesus or believe in Jesus, if that's you, if you just if you just raise your hand, I just want to acknowledge anybody here who's yet to come to faith in Christ. For the rest of us, let's continue in prayer as we go in this worship song. Invite the Lord into your story. Some of those hurts, places that you've suffered deception, or again on behalf of somebody that you care for who's living in deception. Let's continue.